It's almost unfair for me to preach now in some ways. But uh, I come with a, with a grateful heart. Our children are being dismissed. Yeah, I missed it again. So This morning I woke early and probably like you because of the clock change and all. And one of the scriptures of my morning were Proverbs 3, 3, and 4. And Proverbs 3, 3 says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And all I could say to you is that we have been amazing recipients of so much love and faithfulness from this congregation. And um, we are grateful for that. And from our God. And we're grateful for that. But I think it's timely that that was a verse today. It seems like the last few days, key scriptures have been finding their way to my heart and my life. Because this past summer, in the middle of the summer, as I was imagining what God would want a sermon series to look like in um, the fall here, I felt like the Holy Spirit tapped on my heart and said, Jeff, you need to just give the rest of your life and your ministry to two things. Faithfulness and flourishing. Faithfulness and flourishing. Hence this sermon series that we began September 11th, talking about living well in, the, in God's world and living this life of flourishing. And what does it mean? Next week, we're going to have Evil in the Flourishing God, part two. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about the place of gratitude when it comes to flourishing. And if you have a one or two sentence praise to God about just being grateful to him for something in the last year where you want to say, I'm grateful for this, um, Go ahead and send that to office at community-chapel.org. And um, we'll try to include some of those in the message in two weeks. But that prompted this series of messages on faithfulness and flourishing because that is what we um, have given ourselves to. And what God just seems to be saying, we really need to lean hard into that faithfulness. Faithfulness. To God and one another and flourishing. So this morning we're going to look at a couple different places and my hope today is that you would find a new vision in your life perhaps or a renewed vision for this faithful God, this flourishing God. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 15 if we're going to start talking about faithfulness, there's different people we can point out a scripture, pull them out, but one of them you're eventually going to pull out is Abraham. And the Bible says this in Genesis 15, Abraham believed the Lord. But for us to understand why Abraham did that, for us to understand how Abraham did that, we can't start in Genesis 15. We, we actually have to go back to where we began this series in Genesis chapter 1. And there we find these words, in the beginning, you know them, God created 
the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, flourish. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say that. It says, God says, let there be light. But the moment that God says, let there be light, what happens is an eruption of the abundant flourishing of God is set in motion. And it weaves itself all through Scripture, all through all of Scripture. One of the key words in all of that is the word fruit or, or fruitful or fruitfulness. It's used over 200 times in the Bible. And you see this one little phrase that says, be fruitful. And, and it's this beautiful picture of God wanting creation to grow and flourish. But fundamentally, that verb phrase, be fruitful, throughout Scripture, points to God's longing for human beings over and again. God's posture toward us is one of goodness. Amen? God's posture toward us is one of abundance. God's posture towards us is one of generosity. And if we could do anything today, I want you to, I want you to swim in the river of the generosity of God and the goodness of God. And the grace of God. God's posture towards us is flourishing. C.S. Lewis said this, In God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. Try saying plenteousness three times fast. Man, I, that's a hard word, right? It's expansive though. This morning, I just would like you to join me to jump into the river of life as Stephen Curtis Chapman is what is now his old song described it. The river is deep and the river is wide. The river's water is alive. So sink or swim, I'm diving in. I want you to join me in diving into the goodness of God. Dive into the presence of God. And just for a few moments today, my words cannot even begin to articulate what this all means. Can't even begin. I don't know of a pastor or a preacher who can really capture it all. So what I'd like to do for a few moments is I just want to read Scripture to you. And let these Scriptures wash over your soul. Where is your soul today? Where does it need the washing of God today? Where do you need the river of God to come today? Where do you need the truth of God just to wash over you today? Where is it that you've come from? Where life, I'm going to talk about in a little bit, where life has been savage. And you just need a fresh drink from the river of life. Let these scriptures wash over you. Remember them? Most of them you probably know. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you. And the Lord grant you his shalom. Number six, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack 
nothing. Your goodness and love will follow me, will pursue me, will track me down. That's what that means. Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house, in the security, in the safety of God forever. The Lord, who is the Lord? The prophet tells us, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Have you noticed the bald eagles that have been flying around here? I see those and I think of this. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. How interesting is it that the weeping prophet, Jeremiah, who went through the hardest of places, writes this. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And then the weird prophet. You know who the weird prophet is, right? The strange prophet? That's Ezekiel. Read Ezekiel and you go, that dude's weird. But in the midst of his weirdness, he's writing and giving this picture of a temple with a river flowing out of it as a symbol of the presence of God. And then he says this, where the river flows, everything will live. Where the river of life flows, my friends, everything will live. I'm sure Jesus thought about that at some level, or at least the people thought about that when Jesus said this in the great festival, John chapter 7, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then three chapters later, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it how? Abundantly. That's what he says. We don't say that. God says that. And then carrying that over, Paul the Apostle is in a situation where he's locked in prison where it is no evidence of flourishing. Praise this prayer for you, for me, for us, for the people he was with, and probably for himself. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. You know, if you do anything today, when you walk away from here today, why don't you pray that with me? Oh God, fill me with the fullness of God. Oh Lord, fill me with more of you. Oh God, saturate me with the river of life. Because you see, he went on. Because of that truth, because of that abundance of God, this is what he learned. This is a good lesson in flourishing. He says next, Philippians, I have learned the secret of being content. Content in any and every situation. We live in a world where the economy functions on creating discontent with things we have. 
I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in any or every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can all, do all this through him who gives me strength. And because that's true, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because his divine power, as Peter says, another one who had been chased for his faith, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. At at the beginning, at the very beginning, God set in motion this plan for flourishing for mankind and it carries all the way through scripture and it's intended for all the way through life to the very end because at the very end of all things, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes right? Isn't that good news? Isn't that the gospel for us? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Wow. Let this abundance flow over you, but as you do, Please take notice of this. This abundance, this flourishing is centered in God. It's located there. We could say that that it's not about getting flourishing from God, but that God is flourishing. Recall this posture of God toward you. If you walked in here this morning and you're unsure of the posture of God towards you, here is the posture of God toward you and towards me. But the truth is, we all struggle with that. We all struggle to accept that, to receive that, to believe that sometimes. Because the brokenness of the world and life slaps us in the face. So let me share with you two challenges when it comes to this idea of God's posture to us. The first challenge is this. It's our definition of flourishing. Because we have located the idea of flourishing too often in material things or in comfort, or in convenience, or in preference, or in my want, or in my way. And that's how we've defined flourishing. If, if it makes me feel better, if it's, if it's something that is, is coming my way that I want, and that's not God's definition of flourishing. To help illustrate that, let me tell two stories. A number of years ago, I told you a story about James Houston's wife. He was a theologian. His wife's name was Rita, and she suffered from dementia severely. And before she died, as the dark veil grew over, and many of you have walked with loved ones who are either entering there or have been there. In describing this, he talked about his beloved Rita's greatest fear. He looked at his wife sitting by him on the couch, and He said this to the people he was with. You see, Rita is worried that as she loses her memory, she will forget Jesus. And with his eyes fixed lovingly on her, he offered this word of grace. So I remind her, what matters is not that you remember him, but that he remembers you. Right? Here's another one. Right? current in our world, in some of our spheres of connection. Some of you know Pastor Kevin Dunlop, his wife Jen. 
He pastored the Wollaston Church in Nazarene faithfully, and then he served as upstate New York district superintendent. And then he had to step out of that role because of cancer. Lives on the South Shore. I don't know of a couple that has defined flourishing more in some ways than this couple. And as they face cancer, cancer that does not have curability, going through trial after trial and treatment after treatment, this is what Pastor Kevin, who's a brother beloved, wrote. While our attention is altered by the daily fight, our lives hold so many blessings which bolster our faith and bring delight. At every turn, the Lord is present as our shield and strength. Thanks be to God. That's flourishing. Why is that? Because they've leaned into their identity and, and their worship and their love in and for God through Christ. Grace and strength and depth of love and life are found to sustain when what we may define as flourishing is stripped away. When it's stripped away, and here's the, I need to tell you a secret. It's going to be stripped away from all of us someday. We're all going to come to this place. That's part of the beauty of life is facing that, believe it or not. That's part of life. At some point in time, all we're going to have is ourselves and God. That's sobering, yes. But how beautiful is it to know of his posture toward us, even then. Our sufficiency is God. He is our flourishing. And that means if we lose everything, money, material things, even our physical well-being and health and mental abilities. As Goggin and Strobel wrote, we are still capable of flourishing in dependence upon God. In fact, it is here where we can be most open to the way of life God calls us to. I don't think for one moment that God has this plan to inflict me or Kathleen or my children or our family with hardship and pain just so he can teach us a lesson. I don't believe that. What I do believe is that as I yield those places of darkness and hardship and suffering and even death, and as I yield them up to him, he redeems them. And he offers me grace and he strength. The other day, there was a sadness that was on me. And the Lord said to me this, Jeff, do nothing about the sadness. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to settle it. Sit with it. Because I'm sitting with you in the sadness. And just sit there with it. And let me let it do its work. So, our definition of flourishing needs to shift. The second challenge is our very real life, though. We can define it all we want, but let's be honest. Chronic disappointment, sorrows, and suffering in life. As one wrote, our souls have built up some resistance to God's love and can cause us to wonder about his flourishing toward us. And if you haven't been there, I've been there. Wondering, I say God is good, but God, it doesn't feel like you're good. It doesn't look like you're good. John Eldridge said that, and he went on to say, life is a savage assault, striking at random, poisoning our heart's assurance that God is good, or at least he is good toward us. What do we do with that? 
Well, that was a very long, circuitous route to get back to Abraham. <laughs> You'll need to read all of Abraham 15 later. But you see, Abraham set his heart on God and and. In that journey with God, when God said go, he said, go into this land you've never been before. Go there, you're going to become my people. Go there. Abraham didn't say, okay, I want to know everything. He didn't worship the God of certainty. He just said this. God said, Abraham, go. And Abram, the Bible says, Genesis 12, 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him. And then long into this life, we're now three chapters later in Genesis 15, long into this life, we hear these words. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. And then verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. In four simple words, we find the main ingredient to living out the flourishing life with God and the life God has for us. Abram believed the Lord. We must understand that everything this man had hoped for at this point was not his. This was a hard journey, an arduous journey. He had already suffered loss. But everything this man had hoped for was to everyone around him and to himself, it was hopelessly unattainable. But he believed God, it says. This is the God who still hovers over his creation. God sees what we don't see, and God even creates what we cannot create. Faith, as it is, is our trust in God. And as we've seen, God is more committed to us and our flourishing than we probably are committed to him and even our own flourishing. But how could we not want to trust that kind of a God. Can you and I trust God in those places where we do not see flourishing? Can we hold loosely all of life? I believe our journey group talked about that a little bit today. But can we hold loosely all of life? That is the lesson I'm learning more and more and more. Loosely letting it go into the hands of God. Can we hold loosely those disappointments, those hard places? I know how difficult that is. Can we hold loosely those whom we desire to see flourish in God and aren't? Can we hold loosely all the places of heartache and suffering that leave us with questions and no answers? Anyone have any questions that don't have answers? If you don't, come see me. I'll share with you a few. But in the New Testament, two places help us understand two things really important how Abraham viewed God, and how God viewed Abraham. Let's talk about the second one first. James 2 says, and the scripture was fulfilled, that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And say those words with me. And he was called God's friend. You know what it doesn't say in that verse of scripture? It doesn't say that he believed in God. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say that he had a nice belief system lined up. Doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he believed what others told him about God. Even how important those things are. It says he believed God. And God called him a friend. How does someone believe God? 
I believe Kathleen. I believe Bill. I believe Mary. I believe Roger. I believe, I believe, I believe Glenn. This is how. Abraham gave the deepest places of his soul as true friends do, and God reciprocated. That's what real friends do. Friends give of themselves. Real friendship isn't, so what am I going to get out of this today? That's not friendship. Real friendship isn't built on my preference or my likes. Real friendship is based on my sacrifice. Real friendship says, I don't like this situation right now, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm holding fast. And this is what I love about Abraham. There's a lot of things Abraham did wrong, much like Noah. And God went nowhere. God called Abraham his friend. That's what God thought about Abraham. Isn't that awesome? And how true it is when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I call you my friends. And then he says that it's only a friend who lays down his life for another. Well, how did Abraham view God? Well, in Romans 4, 17, we read these words. This describes Abraham's faith. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That's what Abraham thought about God. Out of his friendship with God, think about that. Out of this openness with God, out of giving his soul, his very being to God and to that relationship. His trust was rooted in God and what he thought about God, especially when he couldn't see anything especially when there was no evidence, especially when he wasn't flourishing, especially when everyone around him laughed and said, there's no way that you and Sarah are going to have a baby. None. You are old. It's not happening. But here's the question that Abraham teaches me. Jeff, what do you think about God? What do you think about God? What do you think about God? Where does your mind go when you think about God? Do you let your mind go there? To the God who C.S. Lewis said was the God of plenteousness. These words from a fictional character from William Law's book on the devout and holy life. The character's name is Paternus. First of all, my child, think magnificently of God. Magnify his providence, adore his power, pray to him frequently and incessantly. Bear him always in your mind. Teach your thoughts to reverence him in every place, for there is no place where he is not. Therefore, my child, fear and worship and love God. First and last, think magnificently of God. You see, when we, when we see God in his abundance and his magnificence, 
and we trust God with our lives, we do something. We reverse the lie. Just three weeks ago, we looked at Genesis 3. We looked at the horrid part of the garden. Remember, whenever a snake shows up, it's not good. And we saw that. And the greatest lie in the Garden of Eden was this. God can't be trusted. God can't be trusted. Our faith in the flourishing God casts that lie aside. It reverses it. And so the question for me and you is, where is it that you need a fresh thought about God Because it's the power of ideas and thoughts that are essential to transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Where is it that you need a fresh thought about God, about the abundant, flourishing God? I've had many mentors in my life. Many of them. Hundreds of them. Some very specific human ones. But then I've had the privilege of having these mentors that have formed and shaped me in books and things I've read. I've had the privilege of meeting Dallas Willard, but he has so formed and shaped some thoughts I have about God, about this very thing. And he says this, there are so very many things to frighten you, Jeff. What is the answer to all your fears? Love. Love that comes out of plenitude, out of the fullness of God's sufficiency. And then he goes on and says, God is not stingy. Aren't you glad? God's not stingy? I'm glad. God is not worried he's going to run out of something. Like God doesn't, you know, start the day and go, oh man, I don't know if we're going to make it to the end of the day. God is overflowing with everything that is good and everything we need God loves to give. God loves to forgive. God loves to just gush forth with his goodness. And that's our God. That's our God. And that is, why, that is why we turn to this table. It's why we come here. It's why we gather. It's why this table is in the center. It reminds us of our God of abundant grace. 1 John 3, 1, more flourishing. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He's lavished that on us. We are children of God. And Paul writes later about this impact. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I reflected on that early this morning. And I wrote this in my notes. This is who I am. This is what makes me who I am. Anything good that comes out of my life is because of this. Nothing has sustained me more. Nothing has made me more of what I want to be more. Nothing has given me more in life than this. He has lavished on me, on us, the love of God. Praise God. Right? He's lavished you, my friends. And here's the kicker. Whether or not you know it, receive it, or even want it, too late. 
He's already coming at you with it. He's, he's coming. That's his posture. In his plenitude, that's his posture. He wants to give of himself. He wants to give forgiveness. He wants to give life. He wants to give strength. He wants to give comfort. He wants to sit with us in our tears, and he wants to celebrate with us in our joys, in all of life. And much of life does not look like flourishing. As our pastors come to prepare for communion and we get ready to come to the table, I want you to remember this. The cross of Jesus does not look like flourishing. But in it we see the God of self-giving, abundant, sacrificial love postured toward us with flourishing, the most essential flourishing. Life with God through Christ in forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, not something that we just do to take care of some place when we die, but rather life with Him, full life with Him, forgiveness of sins and life with Him through Christ every single day. So as we come to the table of the Lord today, we come to this table of flourishing. Pastor Fern, please come. We come to this table. And as we come, we're invited into the flourishing life of God through Christ. Through the way maker. Through the one is all we need. Through the one that we're centered on. Step by step. Committed to the long game. Committed to the long game. In relationship with him and one another. All in the power of the flourishing life of God. This table invites us to that relationship as we trust him with the parts of us that don't flourish, with the worst of who we are. He gives us the best of who he is. Thanks be to God.